Ah, good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Second Corinthians chapter five. We're going to continue our series through the book of Second Corinthians, looking at what it means to be a servant of God. And this morning, actually, we're going to be looking at Paul sharing with us the contours of being God's servant, the contours. There's five things in this chapter that Paul deals with that, that helps us shape, if you will, what it means to be a servant of God. While you're turning there and finding 2 Corinthians chapter 5, just a reminder that if you'll hang in there with me, especially if you're viewing live stream at the end of the service, and if you're here today, if you would just remain tight for just a few seconds after our last song today, because I told you last week I have a special announcement that I want to give to all of you who are either tuning in this morning or who are here in person this morning. What does it mean to be a servant of God? One of the things that God is reminding us of here through Paul's writings is that serving God is more about being than doing. Even though you and I equate, oh, I'm serving God because I'm doing this and I'm doing that, and, and that's part of service. Part of service is doing our part, and we're going to be talking more about that in the weeks to come. All of us have a part to play in the body of Christ, and we should be performing whatever role, responsibility, duty, act that God has laid upon us. That's part of service. But God wants us to expand our vision, if you will, of service and remind us that we are his servant 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year which is why being who we need to be is even more vital than doing, because if I'm being who I need to be before the Lord, then the Lord can tap me anytime he wants to tap me during the day, the week, the month, and ask me to do something, and I'll be ready, willing, and able to do it because I put myself in that place by being who I need to be at all times, you see, not just by narrowing it down to doing. And we're going to see that this really comes into play in this chapter, that more than talking to us about how to be God's servant as far as fulfilling our role or responsibility or what God has called us to or whatever, this is going to be more about just being a servant of God 24-7 and, and the contours of what that looks like, if you will, in our life. And the first one we find here in chapter 5, verse 7 is that faith is the foundation of being a servant of God. Faith is the foundation. Paul says, for we live by faith, not by sight. We live as God's servants by trusting in what God has revealed. And faith are those settled, strong convictions. Those things that we have basically said, this is what I believe, me and God have already dealt, and it's, it's settled, you see. There, there's no more, like, wavering back and forth. There's, there's no more, you know, doubt. It's like, no, no, this is what I believe. And it becomes, then, literally the foundation of our life, our ministry, everything is lived out of our faith. That's why he says we live by that kind of faith. Now, Paul gives us an example of that beginning in the chapter. 
He says, oh, and, and you all already know, right? You've already settled this, right? That if your body is laid down through death, that you know that God has an eternal body waiting for you up there in heaven. You, you know that, right? Because he says, I know this. He says, we know that if our earthly house, this tent we live in, is dismantled, we have a building from God, a house not built by hands that is eternal in the heavens. Do you know that today? Has that been settled once and for all in your mind that if you were to die today, first of all, you know where you'd go. You'd go to be with the Lord because he says later on, verse 8, that to be absent from the body is to be present with God. So you know that the moment you die, you're on your way to heaven, right? That, that's based upon your faith. You're trusting in what God has revealed and what he revealed is that if I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior, I will be saved, and therefore I will enter into a personal, forever relationship with God, and that one of the promises that God has made to me is that when I die, I will go to be with him, and when I go to be with him and lay this physical, earthly, temporary body down, I have another body waiting on me in heaven. Do you know that, you see? Has that been settled, you see? Because every one of God's servants needs to have a strong foundation in our life. We need to be sure and stable people. And, and we need to, through our service, no matter what we're doing, demonstrate that faith that we're trusting in what God has revealed and we're not primarily living our life based upon the things that we see, the externals, the outward appearance of things. Because many times the way God leads his people and leads his servants is that if we were to look at things just from an external viewpoint, we're going to come to one conclusion, and yet God speaks another conclusion and wants us to go, are you going to trust me, or are you going to navigate things by just what you're seeing with your eyes? See, it, it's so important that we live by faith. And one of the reasons you and I will know that we're living by faith and that faith is the foundation of our life is because of some things that result when we live by faith. Notice twice in this passage, in the first eight verses, he uses this phrase, and it's found, first of all, in verse 6. He says, therefore, because we live by faith, we are always, always, at all times, full of what? Courage. Then notice verse 8. Thus we are, same phrase, full of courage. What's this mean? It means to live with hope. It means to live with confidence. It means to live boldly. That's what the word in the original means, to be hopeful, to be confident, to be bold. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. And when you and I live that sta stable, sure life, because we're living by what God has revealed, not by what we see, oh my goodness, hope starts to flood into our life, which is why Paul says, I have hope. I have hope that if I die, I know where I'm going when I die. I know what kind of body I'm going to get when I die because God's promised it. And that's all been settled. That's hope, you see. And he lives with such confidence, not, you know, cockiness, but confidence 
because, again, it's based on what God has revealed. And then that gives us a boldness to be able to live life and to be able to step out and do things that God is leading us to do because we know that whatever God asks us to do, that in a sense, the footing will be sure. He's not going to, as he did with Peter, call Peter out on the water and then have Peter start to sink. Peter did that because he stopped believing. You see, his faith got weak. As long as he trusted in the word of the Lord and he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was able to do something that we're supposed to not be able to do. And God wants us all as his servants to get there. He wants us to understand that you and I have way more potential and possibilities built into us if we would simply live by faith. Because just like he did with Peter, he wants to show us through our life and ministry with him and service with him that there's way more than we could do if we trust him than if we start looking at ourselves or start allowing what others say about us or think about us to shape our lives. See, that's why faith needs to be one of the contours of being a servant of God. In fact, it's the very foundation of being a servant of God. Everything is built on our faith. Either at this moment, you and I are trusting in the Lord or we're trusting in something or someone else. And this idea of faith, too, isn't just partial faith. It's fully resting all of our weight on God. It's a great way to think about faith. It's not like, you know, sitting down in that chair and, and you're still trying to sort of hold yourself up. No, when you come in this morning, you put all your weight on that chair. Why did you do that? That chair could fail, right? But you did it because you're trusting in that chair to hold you up. God is saying, oh, I can hold you up better than a chair. And I'll never fail. So rest all your weight on me. We live by faith, not by sight. So faith, that's the first contour. That's the foundation, right? Secondly, pleasing the Lord is our motivation, our inspiration. Pleasing the Lord. Notice he says in verse 9, so then whether we are alive at home, meaning amongst our own, literally, or we're not amongst our own, we're traveling, we're out of country, we're away somewhere, we make it our ambition, our pursuit, devoting ourselves to do this, to please him, to please him. If you and I are going to be servants of the Lord, effective servants of the Lord, constant servants of the Lord, then we cannot live our lives to please ourselves or even to please some other human being. We've got to learn to live our lives to please him above everyone or everything else. Because again, there's going to come times where there's a conflict. That's why Jesus said, no man, no woman, <laughs> No person can serve two masters. Can't do it. So is that settled? Is my primary motivation in my life that I wake up every day saying, Lord, I want to please you today above everyone or everything else. That's what I want to do, you see. And to please him means to live in alignment or agreement with him. That's what it means. 
to be aligned or in agreement with God, to say, God says, this is, this is what, how I want you to live, this is what I want you to say, this is where I want you to go, but, and we line ourselves up with him. Now, let me illustrate this dynamic by using our car, our automobile, and especially the tire part of it. You and I, if we want to keep our tires in good condition, and our car even running in good condition, we have every once in a while have to pay attention to getting our car aligned so that the, the tires, if you will, the camber, everything is lined up so that you, when you and I drive, we're not putting wear and tear on our vehicle and especially on our tires. Can we drive the car without it being in alignment? Absolutely. It's harder. And it will wear on that car and especially on those tires to where they will be worn, but you can do it. And the same thing is true in our life because God won't make us be in alignment with him. He, he'll say, look, you want to you wanna ride your life without being in alignment to me? Go ahead. That's your choice. But you're going to find out something. It's going to wear on you. It's going to wear on you. The Bible uses this principle. The way of the transgressor is hard. Doesn't say it's impossible, but says it's hard. That's why when God met Saul on the road to Damascus, he says, it's been hard for you, right, Saul, to kick against the goads. You're going your own way, but it hasn't been easy. See, so often in our Christian life, again, because we don't live by faith, but we live by sight, we, we look at those who don't have God in their life, especially maybe the, the evil and wicked. And like many of the Psalms, you know, we question, well, God, why are you allowing the wicked to prosper? And those of us who are trying to serve you, why does it seem so hard for us? That's because you're just judging by externals. Because guess what? No matter how it looks outwardly and externally, it will not go well for the wicked, the Bible says. And think about it. Think about how they might feel inside. They might be trying to portray that everything is really rosy outside to everybody else, but they may be dying inside. They might be filled with depression and loneliness and insecurity and all kinds of things, but, but they have all the stuff that the world has to offer, including fame and fortune and fans and all these different things. But, and we look at that and go, oh, God, how comes they're... They're not. It's hard for them, you see because they're living out of alignment with God, and they continue to drive the car of their life down the road of life out of alignment, and it wears on them, just like it would wear on us. And so that's why God is even sort of building in a, a motivation to us say, live your life to please me, and you'll find that when you live your life in alignment to me and in agreement with me, it'll, it'll go a lot better for you. I'm, I'm not saying... You're never going to have trials and pain and suffering and all that. But even in the midst of that, it will go so much better for you when you live in alignment with me than when you're out of alignment with me. Pleasing the Lord. By the way, look in verse 15. 
Paul says, and he died, Jesus, for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised. See, Jesus died for us so that we would be able to die to self, (laughs) so that we wouldn't be all about ourselves. Because again, there's always going to be conflicts. In fact, I'll just tell you, from my experience, there's almost something that comes up daily maybe even many times a day, where I have a choice as Jeff Royce, am I going to live for Jeff or am I going to live for Jesus? I I got that choice multiple times a day, right? You and I have that in front of us all the time. And if you and I choose to live our lives for ourselves rather than Jesus, he's not going to tap us (laughs) to serve him as much as he would like to, because he goes back to the servants who are living in alignment with him, and he keeps tapping them over and over again, you see, rather than those that are living out of alignment with him. So if faith is the foundation of being a servant and pleasing him is the motivation, look at verse 11. Respecting him is our appreciation or admiration. Paul says, therefore, because we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. I want to talk about that phrase, the fear of God or the fear of the Lord. It is so misunderstood, misapplied, misinterpreted even by Christians. It does not mean to have an unhealthy fear of God that causes one to withdraw or keep at a distance from God. In fact, God is always inviting us to come. He says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Well, when you and I live in fear of something, we keep our distance from it or them, right? And yet the Bible says there's no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. And we shouldn't then have an unhealthy fear of God to where we keep it a distance. God wants us to literally be a friend to him, a constant companion, if you will. But as God's people and as God's servants, we must always live with a proper and healthy respect and reverence for God, knowing that he's God and I'm not and you're not. There's always got to be that recognition and acknowledgement and appreciation of who he is, that he is unlike anything or anyone else in the universe that he alone created. And as I approach him, and draw near to him. Make no mistake about it, I should always be conscious of the fact that the only way I can approach this holy God is because he's made a way for me to approach him. That I cannot approach him just willy-nilly any way that I want to and just walk into his presence without being robed in his righteousness, which is why even in the Old Testament, There were many instances where people disrespected the space of God or the presence of God, and they were struck dead because they did not have a healthy respect and reverence for who God was. 
You and I, if we're going to be effective servants for God and live for God, not only need to have faith as our foundation and pleasing him as our primary motivation, but a healthy respect for who he is at all times. Let me tell you why that's important, and it really ties into serving God. If you and I do not have a healthy respect for God, we also then will not have a proper respect of us or others. And let me tell you how that comes into play. The God of the universe tells us in his word that he designed us. He was our architect. He literally knit us together in each of our mother's wombs. He took time out of running the universe and sustaining the universe, that he knit us together. He was this master artist, master creator, who created us, and he did so very specifically and very strategically. He made us a certain way with certain attributes and temperaments and skill sets and abilities, and then would give us eventually when we came to know the Lord, spiritual gifts and all of these different things that make us this beautiful masterpiece, this, this unique creation of God. And yet, how many people today, and I'm not talking about non-Christians, I'm talking about Christians who live their whole life, whether they ever express it or not, say, God, I don't like the way you made me. I want to be somebody different. I don't like how you, the God of the universe, the master creator, I don't like the way you made me. I want to change myself. I, I want to be more like so-and-so. Uh, God, I, I want that ability rather than the ability you gave me. And what that is saying is, God, I don't respect you. I, I don't have any reverence for you because if I truly did, I would be able to embrace who God made me to be and then realize that the reason God did make us exactly the way he made us was because he had a specific plan and purpose to use us in his kingdom and in this world, and the way he made us fits that rather than us thumbing our nose at God and saying, God, I don't like how you made me. I want to be somebody different. And yet we know we live in a world that most people, they struggle to ever embrace or accept themselves. And why is that? Because they either don't believe in God, they don't believe they are a special creation of God, or even as a Christian, they've never come to have a proper respect for God, realizing that their respect for God actually ties into their respect for themselves and for others, and to look at others in a respectful way, knowing God made them that way. And I should respect them too. I should have a healthy respect for everyone, knowing that everyone is a creation of God. I mean... Let's illustrate it this way. We can all identify with this, right? No one in their right mind would fly over to Paris and enter the Louvre Museum and take their own paint and paintbrush 
and walk up to a masterpiece by Rembrandt and start adding strokes. And, and the right mind, right, would do that. Why? Well, because we have respect. They're a master. And their artwork is considered to be a masterpiece. So why would I dare add anything to the master's work? Why would I change it in any way? It's been viewed as a masterpiece. Well, guess what? My Bible tells me that you are a masterpiece of God and that the master has artfully and, and creatively and wonderfully shaped you and made you exactly the way he did. How dare we take our own brushstrokes to what the master has done? Respecting God enables us to begin to respect ourselves and who God made us to be and then to respect every other human being in a proper way. Never looking at another human being as less than because they're not like us. And we all know we live in a world like that too. They're not the same color as us. They're not shaped like us. They this and that and whatever. And we, we allow all these things that don't matter to God become primary to us. And what it really screams is, God, we don't respect you. Knowing the fear of the Lord. Then come to verse 14. The love of Christ is our preservation. Faith, the foundation, pleasing him, the motivation, respecting God, our admiration or appreciation, and the love of Christ, our preservation. Notice Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us. What's that mean? It literally means to hold us tightly together. You know how we endure, how we persevere, how we are preserved, how we are sustained by allowing ourselves to be loved by God and allowing the love of God to continually flow into our life. That's how we're held together. Because again, it's so easy as human beings to begin to fall apart, right? Or feel like we're being pulled in all kinds of different directions. In fact, very interestingly, the word that's used in the Bible for worry and anxiety and God talks a lot about us not being worried or anxious about anything, literally means to be pulled apart in many different directions. I think about how many of us as Christians get to the place in our life where we we're just feel like we're being pulled apart. You know what God's remedy is for that? Not just for being an effective servant, but for just being a Christian and living life, letting the love of Christ hold you tightly together and literally squeeze you. So where he literally like wraps his arms of love around you and he pulls you in close and says, I got you. You're going to be okay. And it's this love that kept Paul together through all of his trials and tribulations that he faced as an apostle of Jesus Christ. We talked about a couple of these last week. Go back with me very quickly to chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. 
How was Paul able to hold it together? Because he continually allowed the love of Jesus to pour over his life. That's why in verse 8, even though he says we were experiencing trouble on every side, we weren't crushed. Even though we were perplexed, we weren't driven to despair. Even though I was being persecuted, I knew I was never abandoned. Even though I was knocked down, I knew I would never be destroyed. Why? Because the love of Jesus Christ was holding me together at all times, and God wants his love to hold you together today too so that you and I as his servants can go out into this world and meet people and rub shoulders with others and where they can see that instead of us falling apart or being pulled apart by the by the trials and tribulations or things of this world that we are being held together by the love of our Lord Jesus Christ a love that will never fail a love that nothing can separate us from that's the kind of love that can hold us together it is God's unfailing love each and every second of our life that holds us together at all times through all things. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 for just a moment and we'll come back there. Paul gives another list. Begin reading with me in verse 24. Paul says of chapter 11, verse 24, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with the rod. Once I received a stoning. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I spent adrift in the open sea. I've been on journeys many times in dangers from rivers, in dangers from robbers, in dangers from my own countrymen, in dangers from Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false believers. Hard work and toil through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, many times without food and cold and without enough clothing. Apart from other things, there is literally the daily pressure on me of my anxious concern for all the churches. How did he do it? He allowed the love of Christ to hold him together through it all. And you and I can't say, well, we've been through something greater than what Paul went through. My life's never looked like that. I'm not saying I've had it easy. I'm not saying I've never had any trials, but I haven't had to go through all that. Paul said, the love of Christ is so powerful, it will hold you together no matter what. There's nothing that you and I could ever go through in this life that is more powerful than the love of God. When you allow yourself to be loved by God, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what comes against you, what pressures, what, what things are trying to pull you apart. The love of Christ will literally control everything. you. It will control the thoughts in your mind. It will control your perspective. It will control your attitude. It will wash over you like nothing else can, and it alone can sustain us. That's what Paul says. That's why faith is not only an important contour and pleasing him is not only an important contour and proper respect and reverence for God, but allowing God to love us and hold us together. Think about it. Maybe people you go to school with, you work with, in your community, maybe even your own family members and stuff, their lives falling apart. They're literally crumbling because of the pressures of life and everything that they're dealing with and, and their minds cannot rest and they literally feel like they're just being pulled apart in a million different directions. You know what message they need? Let Jesus love you. I mean, really love you because that's what can hold you together instead of you just crumbling. 
under it all. Then look at verse 20. Being his representative, that's our occupation. Faith is the foundation, pleasing him the motivation, respecting and reverencing, reverencing him our admiration and appreciation. The love of Christ is our preservation, and being his representative, that's our occupation. And that we do again 24-7. Notice Paul says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are his representatives to everyone we meet and to every place we go. We carry Christ. We carry his reputation with us. We're, we're like a dip diplomat sent from God into this world just like Earthly diplomats are sent from one country to another to represent them and to do it hopefully in a favorable way, right? God expects the same thing out of his people, to be an accurate and positive reflection of him to others. An accurate and positive reflection of others so that we begin to create a thirst for him and other people, rather than to turn them off to Jesus. And again, I think to myself, how many times as Christians have we turned other people off to Christ, rather than realizing as a servant, I represent him. And representing him means that I cast him in the best light possible to other people, Christians and non-Christians. That I, that I am portraying him in a positive light because maybe how they are viewing Christ is being shaped by the way I view Jesus, you see. That's what it means to be an ambassador. And Jesus is basically saying, I want you to realize then that you're my ambassador all the time. You're my ambassador in your home, in your place of business, in your school, in your community, in your church, on vacation. You don't take a vacation from being a Christian, right? So even on vacation, the people you run into there that you might ever see again, you're his ambassador. There's nowhere you and I can go where we're not his representative. And you might say, well, they don't even know I'm a Christian. Doesn't matter. They know maybe something different about you because of the way you carry yourself and how you speak and how you treat others. If nothing else, maybe at least it stirs a question. I wonder what's different about them. The rest of the world seems wacky. And we can be too. In fact, can I say this? I love what Paul says in verse 13. He says, if we're out of our minds, it's because of God. <laughs> Paul's basically saying, I know some of you in Corinth think I'm a full-fledged fanatic for God. He says, I'm okay with that. And if you think I'm in my right mind, he says, that's for you. If somehow, you know, you accept my ministry in your midst, 
because you think I've got something worthwhile to say or whatever, then I'm, I'm good with that too. But, but if you think I'm a full-fledged fanatic for Jesus Christ, I'm okay with that too because that's, that's an expression of my total devotion to God. And that's something we as Christians need to be reminded of. You know, we talk about fanatics in the sports world, you know, fans. Maybe you are some of these folks. You go to a game, you get all dressed up, you paint your face, you scream your head off. You do all that for a worldly sports team, and yet you come to church and go, bless me, I dare you. I'm not, I'm not singing out. I'm, I don't care what songs. I, I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not worshiping. And yet you'll go to a football game and act like a total fool. <laughs> See, Paul's saying, you know what? It's time that we as Christians be full-fledged fanatics for Jesus Christ. <laughs> if, if, if we can do that for worldly temporal things that aren't going to matter in eternity, then let's get excited about Jesus. One other thing. If you need any extra motivation today to give your life to be a servant of the Lord, let me end with this verse, the very last verse of this chapter, chapter 5. Maybe one of the most amazing truths in all the Bible. And I, please understand, I don't even pretend in the next few moments together to plumb the depths of what is being revealed here. But here's what Paul says, that we've got to take by faith <laughs> that God, the Father, made his Son the one who did not even know sin be sin for us. Jesus Christ, the spotless, blameless, sinless, perfect Son of God, literally, completely identified himself with us in that he totally absorbed all of our sin of all time and then all of the judgment and wrath of God that we were due. And he took it upon himself. He took it all. He took every punishment, every amount of judgment, every amount of wrath that our sin deserved, and he totally poured it out on Jesus. And that would be enough, right? Oh, my goodness. God literally has taken away all my sin of all time and forgiven me of it. That, that's amazing. But Paul said God didn't stop there. Then, notice... He did so so that we could be totally identified in Christ and become the righteousness of God. So that that's why you and I can come near to God and approach him, because we're not dressed in our own filthy rags of self-righteousness, but we are dressed in the perfect and beautiful and majestic and splendor righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what you and I have as Christians. And if that can't motivate us to live for God and serve him for the rest of our days, I don't know what could. You see, serving God 
is way more than just doing this or that every once in a while. Being a servant of God is way more about who we are than what we do. It's way more about being than doing. And Paul is telling us here in this passage, here's the contours that will shape your service for the Lord. Let faith always be your foundation. Let pleasing him always be your motivation. Let your healthy respect and reverence for God be your admiration and appreciation. Let the love of Christ be your preservation, sustaining you, and let being his representative be your full-time occupation. Now today, God wanted me to end by primarily coming back and focusing on one of those today. And I don't know, maybe it's just for some one person here today, but here's where I want to focus as we go into our end time together. God really wanted me to come back to chapter 5, where is it here, in verse 14. Somebody here today needs to be encouraged to let the love of Jesus wrap around you and hold you together. Maybe it's somebody watching live stream today. Maybe it's somebody here today. I mean, certainly all of us could use a good dose of the love of Jesus in our life. And I just want to encourage us as we come into this time of worship again and, and just being with the Lord and being in his presence, I just want to encourage all of us, let the love of Christ wash over you like a waterfall. Let his love, just receive it, rest in it. Let, let his love just wrap you up and begin to pull you back together. Because so often, we can get pulled apart. So often, we can begin to just fall apart. And the thing that will sustain us more than anything else is the love that Jesus has for each and every one of us, a love that will not fail. 72 times in the Psalms alone, the psalmists talk about the unfailing, steadfast love of God. Would you stand with me? Oh, God, you who made the perfect one to be sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God in him. God, we have no words. All we can do, God, is to place ourselves as a living sacrifice to you every day we're here and say, God, use me however you want to to bring glory to yourself. Use me to touch other lives. Use me to be your ambassador, to be your representative, God. I just want to make a difference in this world, God, like never before. I want to do my part. I want to step up and be your servant, God. I want to hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant. But God, right now, I just need to receive your love. I need to rest in your love. I need to trust in that love, God, and I need to let it hold me tightly together right now. And God, I know you're, you will. You're always there. Your love is never failing.
It's constant. It's steadfast. Nothing can separate us from your love, God. So would you wrap your people up in your love today as we declare your love and declare how much we are loved by you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.